Number one, healthy believers display compassion for other believers who differ with their convictions. And, and they're concerned about others more than themselves, and that acronym, joy, Jesus, and others, and you, is, becomes operative. So I actually take the time uh, to uh, go through, where did verse... I didn't even print out verses 1 through 3, so let's just look at it. What does it mean in verses 1 through 3? Now you can look at your Bible instead of the screen. Those who are strong, and, and actually say, does the Bible describe what is a strong and a, a weak believer? And, and I always disciple with a notepad. And, and the reason for that is everything I say, I'm writing down. And what's interesting, number one, it encourages them to write stuff down. Number two, it helps you to be able to reinforce past points and also it keeps you from, you know, perambulating around a pool of veracity, which means you just talk and don't say anything. Uh, but what, what is the weaker brother in this verse? Look, look what it says there. Um, those, those that are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. So we have the weaker and the stronger brother. What, what is the difference in the Bible? Well, basically, the Bible says the weaker brother is the one that has the stronger convictions. In fact, uh, he also has the most. <laughs> it's like he has a conviction about everything. Everything. Don't eat that. Don't eat. Don't go there. You shouldn't do that. Oh, they're just, they, they just, the weaker brother has is just surrounded by, it's like he's just, he's walking on this little narrow, you know, trying not to do anything wrong, trying very hard for many reasons. In the Bible, in uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 and Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 14, all of these talk about the background of these people going to their idol temples. And, and those idol temples had animals brought in that were offered to a false, demonic, satanic god, and then they were slaughtered by the priests, the blood used in the process, and the meat was the freshest meat in the city because they had this parade of sacrificial animals to Zeus, and the priest ran a little side you know, market where they were selling all this stuff given to the gods to support it themselves. So if, and usually people brought their best, even the Jews brought their best sacrifice, and so the pagan temples. Now, now think about the implication. You know, here in town uh, is a pagan temple, and this temple has inside of it usually horrific stuff going on. Most pagan temples had some degree of immorality somehow connected to them. But they had connected to it the best meat market in the city because they had a constant stream of the freshest and best cuts of meat that were coming in the front door. And what happened is people that used to be involved in this get saved and the weaker brother wants to stay as far away from that place as possible because he knows what goes on inside that temple, all the sensuality and immorality and occult and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, the weaker brother is as far away from that place as possible and he sees one of his brothers in Christ going in and coming out of the meat market. He's horrified. He thinks, well, what if they went through the meat market and into there and maybe they did something in there, you know, and, 
And that was, oh, the devil is there and all the evil and the immorality and everything else. And actually, they're just a thrifty shopper and they, they got the, you know, steak special. But the weaker brother, not only, I mean, both of them agree false gods are wrong, immorality is go- wrong, um, you know, sensual sins are wrong. They believe that. Uh, the occult is wrong. But this this stronger brother realizes that you can go to the meat market without being involved in false worship, sensuality, and the occult. This one won't even get near the place. Now, with that in mind, look, look what happens. Um, the weaker brother has the stronger convictions. Don't go near the temple. Don't buy any meat from the temple. How do you know that there might be a demon attached to the meat you bought at the temple? The stronger brother is is mature he as it as it talks in hebrews 5 you know and whoop 514 well actually 12 to 14 uh, and by the way some of you are saying how did you know that's in hebrews 5 because i went to biblical counseling that's how i know and that we had to mark that verse a hundred times in the course of two years but they are stronger because they are exercised biblically they, they exercise biblically. Instead of just thinking that buying meat at the market is wrong, they look in the scriptures and they say, does God say that? What does the Lord say our liberties are? That, that we're in the world, we're not of the world. And, and, but, now go back to what the original, um, they display, verses 1 through 3, compassion. That, look at what verse 3 says. Those who are strong enough are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us please our neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Christ didn't please himself. So what are we supposed to do when someone believes something's wrong and we know it's not? Well, Paul gives us the answer in, in those passages I told you about right here. You know what Paul says? You can read Romans 14. He said, I won't drink Again, in the presence of someone that thinks drinking is wrong. I will, I will never again touch alcohol. I'll not eat meat or drink wine while the earth exists so that I don't offend. Is that the attitude norm? No. Do you, do you know what today? Do you want to know what 21st century response is? If you find someone that believes something that you do is wrong, because they, they believe from the Bible it's wrong, you immediately call them a name right here. You say, you are a legalist. That is not. By the way, that's a, if you know anything about theology, you would never do that. Because a legalist is someone that thought that they could earn salvation by keeping the law or the Sabbath or the diet or whatever. No, no, no. If they want to be proper, uh, nobody should call anybody a legalist except a Roman Catholic working their way to heaven through the sacraments or, you know, some person that, that is involved in a, a putting someone back under the law like a lot of these messianic type groups are saying you've got to observe all the law or you won't go to heaven or someone that says you have to be baptized. Keeping the law to go to heaven, being baptized to go to heaven, or keeping the Jewish system to go to heaven is legalism. Most people are not legalistic. What they are are externalists. They think that by observing something externally, it makes them 
more spiritual. And you can address that. But at this point, with my one-on-one thing, I'd say, why is compassion so important? And I would say, what was the most frequent emotion of Christ? And they'd say, not sure. I'd say, do you know what the most frequently recorded emotion of Jesus Christ was? Compassion. And I said, this week, and I would take him to Colossians 3, I says, you need to clothe yourself. Colossians 3 says, verse 12, put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. It's a choice. This display as a mature, normal, healthy believer only comes as a choice. You have got to want to be Christ-like. Jesus doesn't come in and move all the furniture and we're going, don't do that, don't do that. He, by invitation, you know, every time I see one of those two men in the truck things, they don't go around and break into houses, I hope, and take everything. They only go by invitation and they'll move your stuff. Jesus, by invitation, will come in and say, I will make you display my emotion of compassion. And it's what you do when you find someone that has stronger, well, where did it go? Well, I don't know where it went. But when you find someone that has all these rules in their life that you don't have, instead of you guzzling your long neck in front of them, you, you don't even tell them you drink. And you find out about them, and maybe through Bible study, you could lead them where you have come. Or maybe you might learn from them. So that's the first lesson. And, uh, and for us this morning, it's a reminder of how vital it is in the biblical record to see how much the lecture, this is a lecture, I'm lecturing, how vital it is to get into a one-on-one nurturing discipleship relationship because Jesus said, I'm sending you in all the world to make disciples. And once they become a disciple, to teach them how to observe. And the only way you teach someone how to observe is you show them how God has led you through his word. And then you work with them until they understand that point, And then you go to the next one. And this is what spiritually healthy, mature believers look like.